A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ahí va a llegar Arsenal Ozil, marca Mesut Ozil, golazo de Ramsey de tacón, minuto 39 de juego de esta primera parte, marcó Ramsey, un auténtico golazo, fantástico para el Arsenal. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always with James from Gunner Blog, goodly afternoon to you. Goodly afternoon, we're mixing it up. Yeah. Apologies for the delay in getting to you. Well, look, you sound like a man who, who's had a weekend. I've seen some things, guys. I mean, my voice isn't working, but the rest of my body isn't really working either. I was on a, a stag weekend. One of my oldest friends is getting married in a few weeks' time. And I was in Scotland, that most glamorous of locations, um, near Alloa. On a stag weekend. Why precisely near Alloa in Scotland? What was the decision-making process there? I have absolutely no idea. Basically, there was talk of Scotland and talk of somewhere with an outdoorsy vibe, and they managed to identify a house that could sleep 15 people somewhere near Alloa. But genuinely, we were going around all these little towns in the local area, and all people would ask us is, why have you come here? <laughs> um, nonetheless, we had a terrific time. On Friday night, we went to a, a local bar in Alloa itself with um, a performer there called Ray Blondell. And if you're ever in Alloa, you must check him out. Ray Blondell. There are posters up saying, Ray bon Blondell, live from Las Vegas. Now, far be it from me to dispute the veracity of Ray's claims, but I'm not entirely convinced that he has a performing history in Las Vegas. Ah, okay. See, my mind went somewhere else. I, when you said live from Las Vegas, I thought it was some kind of by location trick that he's performing no, no. from Las Vegas, but, but somehow projecting himself as a hologram into this, this bar in Alloa. No, sadly not. It was just a man, a local man from Alloa, who claims to have had a history performing in Las Vegas, singing blurred lines to a room of bemused old people. It was fantastic, <laughs> to be honest with you. Of all the songs to sing, I mean, whatever about the Sinatra classics, Blurred Lines. Blurred Lines. One of the creepiest, most... Ugh, it's a I know. gross song. I suspect he was wearing a wig as well. He looked a bit like Boris Johnson, Ray Blondell. Ray Blondell. I'm going to have to Google him here because That's, maybe... Does he uh, exist? I think Raymond Blondell is his full name. Raymond. Tottenham used to have a, a midfielder called Jonathan Blondell. That's right. any relation. Oh, here he is. Have you found him? I've found him. Oh, actually, Raymond Blondell duet with Jerry Lee Lewis? Hang on a minute. He's legitimate. Yeah, well, so it seems... Raymond got to sing with Jerry Lee at Glen Eagles Hotel after touring with Jerry Lee. Do we need a blast of this? I think we do. Okay, hang on. It's loading up here on the YouTube. Here they are. They're on stage. Going to bring it forward a little bit. Hang on. Yeah, that's about enough of that. Fuck that. 
<laughs> what, I, what I would say is if if Rain Blondell truly has toured with Jerry Lee Lewis, he's fallen on harder times since. Right. Um, well, but, I've, I've just found a news article about him here in the Scottish Daily Record. It says East, please, Kilbr- East Kilbride musician set to make a comeback. And he says uh, it's a musician who started his career in the Thistle Club before going on to sing with Jerry Lee Lewis is hitting the road again. He turned professional in 1993 and played all the big clubs in the UK. In 1994, Raymond, a huge Elvis fan, headed for Memphis, singing at the B.B. King's Club in the famous Beale Street. And then, hang on, Raymond, who now lives in King Cardine, which sounds a bit like Kim Kardashian. I like that image. He could exist inside Mm -hmm. Kim Kardashian. This could be his comeback. Perhaps. Raymond Blondell, inside Kim. Wow. Well, look. As I say, if you're in Alloa, drop by. Seek out Raymond Blondell for an extraordinary night's entertainment. Right. Um, what else did I do on the stag? I went on. I went to one of those go ape things. You've been to one of those? What? A it's what? like a kind of no. It's, it doesn't. It's not as strange as it sounds. It's like a kind of climbing thing, you know, where you're in a wood and you have to go on a lot of zip lines and rope ladders and things like that. And incredibly, mm. I emerged unscathed. Relatively. Right. That's. I got a lot of bark in my trousers, but other than that. <laughs> Um, all in all, it was it was it was good fun. But Ac- I'm excellent. I'm yeah. I'm sort of uh, paying the, the price mm. somewhat. Today. I, I'm fascinated. I've read on this Raymond Blondell article. I'm fascinated. He's talking. He's talking about uh, you know his career. He says I also played in the famous Viper Room in L.A. And when the curtains opened, all my heroes were there with the likes of Jack Nicholson, Morgan Freeman, Kid Rock. Daryl Hannah, and even Johnny Depp himself. I got a standing ovation that night. I couldn't believe it. And Tom Petty jumped on stage and said, that was phenomenal. Christ, well... But hang on, hang on, it gets better. It gets better. If you think that's the pinnacle of his career, it gets even better than that. Come on. He goes on to say, I am a good friend with Ewan McGregor. And when he asked his mum who she wanted to play at her Ruby wedding anniversary, no expense spared... She said me, which was a wow. real honour. Wow. That is amazing. I mean, he's probably capped all that by singing to Gunnerblog and his mates in a pub on Alloa on Saturday night. But Oh, yeah, that's going to be on the website now any, any minute. <laughs> um, anyway, so all of that happened. Also, there was special provision made during this weekend for us all to watch a, a little game of football between Arsenal and Tottenham Hotspur. Oh, very good. Very good. Some time off from the uh, drinking and carousing and all the other bits and pieces to, to watch the football. Well, indeed. Did, did you have anything interesting happen to you this weekend aside from watching said football match? Well, I, I won €200. Euros. Wow. On, on, but how, how so? Well, during last week, Mrs. Bloggs had a dream that Conor McGregor got knocked out in the second round of his fight. Okay, and we're in the in the pub on Saturday night having a couple of pints, and uh, she reminded me of that. And my phone was there, and my my Betfair account was there, and I said, ah, "I'll just stick a tenner on that for the laugh," because I was a little bit drunk. Yeah, and I put a tenner on it, twenty to one for that to happen, which seemed extraordinarily generous odds. And lo and behold, Conor McGregor got knocked out, or uh, he had to submit in the second round, and I was two hundred euros richer. I mean, did you share it with your wife? It seems only appropriate that you should, given her, her role in proceedings. We got a slightly nicer bottle of wine than we might have done originally when we went to the supermarket on, on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, so rather than an eight ninety nine bottle of wine, we went the whole way and spent twelve ninety nine. 
Wonderful. Yeah. Wow. I mean, is this regular? Is this something that she's done before? Are these powers known to you, or is this a first? Well, she did say that she knew for a fact that Arsenal were going to win the FA Cup in 2014 when she did the live blog for it. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't have believed her then after seven or eight minutes of that game. But lo and behold, it turned out to be be true. But this was oddly specific, so it it just felt like, oh, hell, I might as well do something. And... uh, and there you go. So that was that was the uh, that was the exciting part of the weekend. I also put, uh, given that I was uh, in a betting frenzy then, mm. uh, I also put some money on Atletico Madrid and Valencia. Uh, one of those weird bets that I don't understand, like the over under three and a half goals, because I don't know how you can have half a goal. I don't. Yeah. I don't get it. It's like what? No over or under three? Or Try going four. in and betting on exactly three and a half goals. They yeah. get really annoyed with you. Exactly. It's like, well, well, you can't have half a goal. Then, but you know. But anyway, I said it would be over three and a half goals, and I put a tenner on that, and that was five to one, and I won another fifty quid. Then, why are we? I mean, why are you even bothering with the podcasting business anymore? Why? Why are you not just chilling out on a exotic beach somewhere with your winnings? This is very good. I had probably uh, because I had to pay my TV license and get the tax on my car. Okay, fair enough. Let's yeah. keep going. So that was, yeah, that was my weekend of uh, of high stakes betting. Fantastic, mm. fantastic stuff. Um, so when you did watch this game on mm. on Saturday, when you were given special dispensation from from being lads, yeah, 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 on the on the staggeroony, stag, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah stagging away. Um, did you enjoy it? Oh, that's a good question. I was actually watching it with a Tottenham fan. Right, right next to me. Okay, always a, always a strange experience. Um, I I wouldn't say I enjoyed it. I don't think it's ever really possible to enjoy a London derby, is it? I mean, it's sort True. of too too fraught, too emotionally fraught. Mm. Um, especially given that I knew that a poor result meant I would have to spend a weekend with a with a gloating Spurs fan, which is sort of unbearable. And and it, in the end, I think both. I think I was more satisfied than him at full time, though. I think so because you know, let's face it. Had Arsenal done what Tottenham did, and, you know, I understand why people criticise us for character and desire and leadership and spirit and bottle and all those things, right? But, uh, you know, had uh, had Arsenal done what Tottenham did, it would have been like, oh, they're blowing it, they're, blow- they're, they're you know, they're missing the chance. Tottenham, mm. last week, one point from six. They lose to West Ham. They lose for, or they, they lose a winning position against Arsenal. You know, down to 10 men, they scored two goals in two or three minutes, could really put the pressure on us, and instead, they they, they kind of choked a little bit. Yeah, I think it, I think you're absolutely right. I think had the roles of the teams been reversed, Arsenal would be labelled bottlers after that. Mm. Um, and, you know, Spurs did lose a massive opportunity. It's, it's weird. It's a game that both teams will come away from thinking, well, we probably should have won that. Yeah. Because when Arsenal led 1-0 with 11 men, you know, Spurs, who had started quite impressively, um, seemed to run out of ideas and and confidence very quickly, and it didn't really look like they were going to get back into the game. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there was a long way to go still, even before the... True. Before the red card, and, you know, we we know our our appetite for self-destruction can manifest itself in many different ways rather than just a red card. So, you know, you you don't know quite what would happen, but I think it was working well enough. You know, we hadn't played very well. We didn't seem very confident uh, on the ball, but after the goal, it felt like something changed with us and the way that we played and the way that we were in the game, you know? 
Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there was after the goal, there was almost an opportunity for a second, wasn't there? That one where Özil's touch set Welbeck away, and he couldn't quite get it out of his feet. And there was that, you know, for a five-minute period where suddenly there was a Welbeck header too, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice ball over the top uh, with Aaron Ramsey, I think. But um, yeah, there was a we in that end of the first half, we were quite dominant actually, and at the start of the second half, I think the goal massively helped us. I think until that point, we were actually really struggling. Um, you know, defensively we were okay, but we weren't offering much attacking threat at all. Mm. We, we got a goal on the breakaway and it completely changed the dynamic of the match. And then, of course, the other major incident was the sending off and that, that reversed things again. But given that, and given that we were losing, given that we were a man down, I thought at that point it was going to be so, so hard to come back into the game mm. because if you overcommit going forward, you're likely to get caught on the break. Arsene Wenger gambled tactically. What are you shaking there? What? What What's am I shaking? shaking? Yeah. That's oh, a pen. All oh, right. One of those pens. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like you were sort of getting ready to spray paint something. Yeah, it's one of those uh, pens. It's a gold pen. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast a couple of weeks back. I don't know why I was shaking. I, I was just sitting here thinking about the sending off, and I immediately <laughs> had to just pick something up and go... And shake it. <laughs> throttle it like Francis Cockerland. You, you, you cockerland pen. Basically, I mean, the point I was making before you, before you started playing with your pen... Sorry. <laughs> ...was um, a perennial problem, uh, was that I didn't think we'd get back into it at that point. And so to come away with a 2-2, I was pretty pleased. At full time, I was pretty pleased. At the end of the weekend, looking at the league table, I still felt a bit glum. Mm. But when the whistle went... Oh yeah, I was, I was, I would have taken that. Certainly. Well, yeah, it, it seems like it's been a long time since we got anything from a game when we've been down to ten men, uh, or yeah. when we've been behind with ten men. That's for sure. I think uh, was it Orbino saying that there was that famous three-two win over Bolton um, when we were down to to ten men and mm. two nil down and came back to win three-two, which was which was amazing. But those things are rare. And yeah, like you, at two-one down, I was thinking. You know, it's whatever, whatever about hanging on to a one nil with 10 men. I thought that would be our best chance of getting something from the game. Yeah. You know, just try and see out the first 10 minutes with 10 men and then, you know, try and consolidate. And within those first 10 minutes, we, we conceded twice. So, yeah, I wasn't confident that we were going to get anything from the game. At the same time, though, we did look quite dangerous. And you've got to give them some credit for that. On the one hand... You know, it's ridiculous to go down to 10 men the way that we did, and we'll, we'll come to the sending off in a moment. But then to get back into it and to score a goal and maybe to have chances, uh, you know, to win it even before the end of the game, uh, I think that says a lot about the way that the team managed to craft a response. The manager was quite brave in a way because 2-1 so. down and he's lost Coquelin and he's picked Ramsey on the right-hand side for a fairly good reason because he wanted to make the midfield more solid with, with Elneny and, and Coquelin. Uh, so Coquelin is gone already. Ramsey's moved back in and he takes off Elneny as well. So both of the ostensibly holding midfield players are gone. So you're looking at that centre of, uh, of midfield from us being not weak, but certainly not in any way secure or solid. Puts on Olivier Giroud and then, you know, we get a goal. I mean, it was it was brave because he could have. There was talk of you know Flamini coming on. Would Flamini come on and and help shore things up? But he actually went for it, and we got some reward for that. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it as a midfield four, you know, a four four one kind of system, that the four in midfield across left to right was 
uh, Alexis Erzl, Ramsey, Welbeck. I mean, you can't really envisage a much more attacking way to set up. Mm. And uh, it was a massive gamble, um, but it paid off. And, uh, you know, if you'd offered me a 2-2 prior to kick-off, I uh, I probably would have taken it. I thought that was a game in our current form that we would lose. Mm. Yeah, so good. I mean, from, from circumstantially, it was di- both disappointing and... Uh, heartening in a way because to be 1-0 up and to put ourselves 2-1 down through our own idiocy uh, is one thing but then to come back and and show that okay we do have some stones there is a little bit of something left in this team in terms of its character and its ability to to get something from a game when the chips are down yeah some disappointment and some pride I would say yeah alright so let's um, let's touch on the things the various things that happened then the goal the first goal <laughs> Um, look, he gets a, he gets an awful lot of criticism, Aaron Ramsey. I understand why to a certain extent. I think it's I think it's overblown a bit. Um, I know that there are a lot of people who who don't like to hear that, but I think he, he's become a bit of a lightning rod um, for for the way that the team hasn't performed, uh, and he's played his part in that. But what a fucking finish that was! Yeah, and he's only been practicing those back heels for about five years. Yeah, he? so exactly. Yeah, <laughs> finally paid dividends. <laughs> I mean, the, I mean, he actually had tried a few already earlier in the game. Hey, well, didn't they? They all had a go. It was like they all had a go. Steve Bold, as he was, the players were going out, and the pitch was going. Remember, lads, each one of you have got to try at least one back heel in the first, you know, twenty minutes of this game. Yeah, I think they'd had a bet on that. Yeah. It was extraordinary. They were literally all pulling them out, and then that finish. I mean. I hope it doesn't get forgotten in the in the broader context of the game because it was absolutely superb. When the ball came to Bellerin on the right, I was screaming at him to shoot. Shoot, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I and I and he very nearly m- sort of messed up the opportunity because the pass he plays to Ramsey's behind him. Ramsey's sort of got no. If he wants to hit it first time, he's got no choice but to do what he did. Mm. So to produce that finish, I mean, it was exquisite. And uh, I mean, maybe not the best goalkeeping in the world, but I think probably the element of surprise had a big impact. Yeah, absolutely. And the way that the the ball bounced. I mean, I think Loris was much more culpable for the for the second goal, for the Alexis mm. goal. Like, you'd be gutted if your own goalkeeper let that in. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, not, I'm not, obviously, because it was it was him. I'm delighted. <laughs> <laughs> really chuffed, yeah. Um, all right, so Coquelin then. Coquelin, Coquelin, Coquelin. Uh, all right, first yellow card, no questions. About now, that what was going on there? Because I've only seen it a couple of times. So, first time I thought he was doing that thing where a player grabs the ball as if they've been fouled and it's a free kick to them. But was he just literally pouring it away from the opponent to stop them getting? I think he was. I think he was handling it to make sure that they couldn't come away with it because he d- he he dawdled on the ball a bit. And and this goes back to something we were talking about maybe last week and certainly the arse cast on Friday in terms of the way that we're playing at the moment is that there didn't appear to be an awful lot of movement for him. That we were so static at times that he's on the ball in the centre of the park. He's looking for a pass and it happened more than once against Tottenham. It happened in our last number of games where you see players looking for somebody to pass the ball to and there's there's nobody there. Now, he, he was a little bit um, hesitant on the ball. He got crowded out and bundled off it and I think he just handled it to make sure that they couldn't come away with it. That's what I think. So he can. I don't think we can have any arguments. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, there was no arguments at all. I just wondered what was what mm. was going through his mind, really. Um, Mrs. Bloggs probably knows with her, her powers of foresight and you know all these mm. other psycho psycho something powers. Um, but I the for second one. I mean, the thing is, at half time there were a lot of jokes going around on Twitter, weren't there, about when will Cockerland sending off be? Mm. Um, 
and and so it proved. Really, I mean, it was a uh, second one. I'm not even sure how much contact there was. I haven't again. I haven't seen it too many times. But it, diving in like that, such a ridiculous risk to take. Yeah, I look. The only contact that was made was Kane making contact with Coquelin as he jumped over him. Uh, oh. But you know what. Yeah, I mean, it was just daft for him to slide in the way that he the way that he did. You know, Arsene Wenger said afterwards that we we spoke to him at halftime. We told him, you know, you're on a yellow card. Don't do anything stupid, and whatever way you want to dress it up. And and certainly, I think the the, the contact from Kane was bought. Um, it was it was what you would expect most players to do. The rights and wrongs of it, I think, are pretty much irrelevant in the circumstances. The fact is that all Coquelin had to do was maybe just chase him down the wing. And just yeah. stand up. Didn't have to jump in. He didn't have to slide in. It was sort of like Milner getting sent off yesterday. Um, you know, a second yellow, ridiculously stupid second yellow card uh, where where players just, I don't know, if they misjudge it. I know we're talking about split seconds here where you think you can get the ball and you make a, a, a brilliant tackle, but you, the risk-reward there thing is skewed far too heavily on the risk that if you get it wrong, you're fucked, and he was. I mean, what do you attribute it to? Do you think it's uh, misjudgment? Do you think he was caught up in the atmosphere of the game and his head went slightly? What do you put that down to? I, I don't know. I Look, I think it, it happens all the time. Footballers make those kind of silly mistakes all the time. Juan Mata did it yesterday. Yep. You know, th- these are experienced footballers. Um, yeah, heat of the game, I guess, and, and trying to make an impact and trying to to make a difference. I don't think he was trying to let the team down. There was no nothing like that. It was just, okay, uh, I'm going to go for this. Oh, shit, that was a really bad decision. You know, yeah. and, and that's what it is. Um, and I think it was it was daft and silly and idiotic and, and everything else. Um, but, you know, again, better players than him have done worse things than that. Uh, down the years mm-hmm. and uh, you know players who you would expect to have more sense uh, have done worse things than that and I think we have to maybe stand back a bit and look at okay why does this happen in the heat of game why do footballers do things that they know they shouldn't do it's because they're pumped up because they're full of adrenaline because the decision making process is perhaps a little bit skewed and because they have to make uh, decisions in very short spaces of time uh, and you know when they get it wrong the consequences are are, are pretty bad well, yeah, so it, so it proved for Arsenal. I mean, I suppose with Spurs, what was it, within seven minutes of the sending off, going ahead? Mm. Um, yeah. What was the first goal? Oh, the set piece, wasn't it? Set piece, and it fell to Aldevar, Aldevar yeah, whatever his name is. Um, <laughs> and he just he just cracked it home. And then second one, yeah. I tried not to mention that goal as much as possible on the blog. I, my, because it was, I mean, I, I'll say it quietly, but it was a, it was a good goal, wasn't it? It was, it was, a, it was quite a good but yeah, my brother was saying, uh, <laughs> I read your blog this morning, you know, on Sunday morning, he was going, you know, you played, uh, Dan played that goal very nicely, the Kane goal. Yeah. I was going, yeah, I'm not giving that fucker any credit. I'm just tired well, of it. I'm actually delighted for, you know, one of the reasons why I'm delighted we got a point isn't just for the fact that we got a point. It isn't just the fact that, uh, you know, Tottenham are going to feel that. It isn't just from the, pack, uh, the fact that we needed a point. It was to fucking save us from a week or two weeks of Harry Kane being held, you know, the 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 saviour of English football or the, you know, just uh, shut up, look at his brilliant winner against Arsenal. It wasn't a winner. 
didn't win anything. Thank God, yeah, we yeah. consigned it to relative insignificance. Mm. I mean, if we're not going to talk about the quality of the strike, should we be talking about the, the quality of the defending? I mean, mm. Matsaka, what was going on there? He was chasing down towards the touchline. Maybe he should have just put it out, played yeah, it simple. For sure, and I think Gibbs um, shouldn't have played Ali onside. Uh, no, a little true. bit of a mistake there. But yeah, just you know, be a bit industrial, be a bit safe, and just put it out for a throw. You know, he could have easy, even just gone uh, when Ali was there, just go through the back of him, you know, push him over. And, you know, if you have to even concede a free kick in that position, it's just a corner. So, um, yeah, just don't get caught the way that we got caught. But again, I don't think we did enough when Kane got the ball to close him down. Um, we made it a little bit easy for him. We invited him onto us. And, yeah, look, it was a, it was a good finish. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, keeping no chance for that one. But worth saying, I suppose, that the goalkeeper generally did did very well. I mean, I, I thought, you know, I was obviously... <laughs> why, why are you laughing? Well, yeah, he did. He did. He did do well. He made, like, one great save in the first half. And uh, that save then in the, the second half. Mm. Ah, the one that was going over the bar. Well, yeah, no, that was fine. Again, you know, I quite like a bit of that. You know, a little bit of the showman save. It was definitely going over the bar and he, he you know, he made the most of it, made a meal of it. And that's fine. You know, I think goalkeepers can can get some confidence from things like that. But the one where the ball nearly went over the line. Ah, well, that was a strange positioning decision, you have to say. <laughs> that was that was what I was getting at here. It's that, you know, if, if you are going to be in goal, I, I'm pretty sure one of the basics is not standing behind the line. I could be sure. wrong. Maybe I'm no goalkeeping expert, but I would have finally, thought... <laughs> finally, we've uncovered the problem with Arsenal's goalkeeping coaching. Um, <laughs> but I tell you what, though, being sat next to a Tottenham fan when that goal decision replay came through and seeing how close it was to being over the line mm. was truly hysterical. In many ways, <laughs> I was I was, I was, was grateful that he decided to stand behind the line in order to make it that, that much more agonising for Spurs. Yes, Yes. I mean, look, he did He did pretty well, I think, Ospina. Um, you know, you do wonder maybe if a taller goalkeeper might have got to Keynes. Maybe. 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 If he was about a 10 foot tall, definitely. Well, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm gonna, you know, have a look at it here and have a look from the reverse replay and, and I'll see. Um, have a look. Yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued. I mean, it was a good strike, certainly. I mean, we keep saying it and it makes me feel sick every time. But I'd love to believe there's some way that, you know, it could have been stopped. Mm. Okay, I'm gonna I'm just sort of opening the file here. Okay. In the old VLC, um, what minute was that goal? It was about the. Okay, here it is, sixty something minutes. Uh, I'm just scrolling backwards. I can't here. believe you can do this to yourself, really. Just watch it again. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck am I doing? <laughs> this is this is. I mean, I don't know. Life's too short, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. No, let's let's answer the question. We've come this far. Okay. All right, uh, I'm going back. Okay, we need I can to know. see him. Oh, I can see him celebrating. It's gross. Oh, disgusting. He's hugging. Look away, look away. Oh, Kyle Walker is having a good time. Nobody nobody should have to view that. It's, at least before the goal, he had the decency to wear a mask. I think he took it off when he celebrated. Yeah, why did his mask have his number on it, if not for, like, abject ponsery? That could be the only reason. Very very selfish no one else can use that mask now yeah okay I'm looking here it is coming from the reverse angle and well yeah how far away from it is he well very far <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's 
Although I don't know. I think maybe another, what, four or five inches? Okay. And I'd say Petacek has longer fingers, so you're looking at maybe an extra inch, so six inches. Yeah, Czech's saving that for sure. For sure. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. Um, that was horrible to watch. Anyway, I'm yeah, I'm well just... done for enduring that. Thanks very um, much. So there we were, two on down. Mm. Miserable it was. And then Alexis Sanchez scores his first league goal since October, and he was a very, very happy man. I think we were all happy men mm. at that precise point in time. This time, definitely a perfectly placed pass from Bellerin around the outside. And yeah, one of those little skipping, bouncing finishes, but I agree with you, you'd be a little bit disappointed in your own goalkeeper if they if they conceded that. But no complaints from me, certainly. And oh. great to get Alexis, you know, a goal. I mean, that's such a long time, isn't it? Yeah. To have not scored in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he did get the one against Burnley, obviously, in the FA Cup. But, you know, in terms of Premier League, I'm sure that was a weight that was that was playing on him and on his shoulders. So it'd be good if if that's taken uh, taken some of that off him for the games going forward. Um, Definitely. I mean, Arsene Wenger's been talking about Alexis quite a lot in his press conferences, and he's been talking about um, psychological elements, really, hasn't he? You know, about mm. being trying too hard or or being correctly focused. I think no one doubts his talents there. It's just about settling him down and hopefully this goal will go some way towards doing that. Mm. And of course he is a player who sort of scores in bursts as well. Mm. So mm. hopefully this is the the floodgates well and well and truly opened. Um yeah. But look, I mean what 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 did you make of the the selection of of uh Mohamed El Neni in midfield? What how did you think that worked? Um it's funny. I th- did we did we talk about that? Oh, we, I think we talked about it as a possibility for Wednesday for the Swansea game, didn't mm. we? Um, and it didn't transpire then. We lost, and then lo and behold, it was in on the weekend. I thought um, it was a, an unspectacular performance, I would say, from El Nenny, but one that, from a strategic point of view, seemed to work rather well. I mean, certainly pushing Aaron Ramsey into the advanced areas paid dividends with him getting the opening goal. And I thought we looked a little more solid, a little more disciplined in the middle of the park. Mm. Um I think that's more to do with the type of player he is than any great individual attribute, you know. Although I do think that he's clearly energetic. Clearly, uh, he provides some of the movement, maybe, that we've been lacking in terms of being available for a pass. And uh, I thought for a first Premier League start in that white-hot atmosphere, mm. I thought he acquitted himself well. What about you? Um, yeah, I thought it worked. I thought it, it it helped the midfield, which has been really a problem for the last... Mm. Uh, for the last few weeks and I thought it, you know we were better in there um, so I, I'd like to see a bit more of that um, and I'm, I think we might get to it when we come to the questions but when it comes to the team for tomorrow night against Hull and when it comes to the team going forward um, we, we can discuss that perhaps and, and some of the options there but yeah I, I, I quite like the look of him um, the, he, he feels to me like he's playing within himself still a little bit yeah uh, but at the same time what he did was was quite effective. I think there was something like ten ball recoveries in midfield. You know, he's aware. He's positionally quite good. Um, passing, I think, under pressure, um, like many of the Arsenal players on on Saturday against Tottenham, wasn't brilliant. But you know, it wasn't it wasn't bad either. So yeah, I thought it was I thought it was promising, and I think it was probably a little bit overdue. That's... Yeah, I think it was as well. And, it, you know, I'm sure Arsenal had his reasons for, for holding off on including him until now. But uh, and I'm just looking at some of the numbers now. 
pass completion 80%, mm. not as high as you'd anticipate normally from a central midfield player with Arsenal. But then I don't think his teammates were necessarily any better. Francis Cockland, just 72%. Right. So... I, I, I thought he, I thought he did well enough, and I thought, in terms of the the shape and the balance he brought to the team, I think balance is really what we've been lacking. Yeah, um, and I thought it was a step in the right direction, certainly. All right, cool. Okay, um, anything else stand out from the weekend before we take a break and do the questions? Um, I mean, I suppose just in in broader context, I mean, what, how do you feel the result affects our title chances? Is that is that even a consideration for you anymore? You've been, you know, I think after the Swansea game, you were sort of very, very down on the possibility. Do you still see it as too far a gap to bridge? Yes, yes. But, you know, there's there's always this part of me that, that thinks something crazy could happen this season. And there's yeah. always been a part of me that thinks at some point, Leicester are going to have a little bit of a, a difficult spell. When you look at their fixtures, it's hard to see where it's coming from. Mm. But at the same time, it would be unusual for them to go through um, a season without a little bit of a blip in form. Uh, so I'm, I'm sort of not that I'm banking on it, and I don't necessarily expect it. But it, you know, if it happened, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. But I think we've just left ourselves with, with far too much to do. You know, the, the the results against Manchester United and Swansea. If you think about those in the context of what we expected from them and where that might leave us in the title race, you know, it's very difficult to to be anything other than than pessimistic about our chances of, of winning it, not to mention what we actually need to do from here anyway on our own in terms of how many games we've got to win uh, and how we've got to perform. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still pessimistic. Yeah, I mean, uh, Vic the Quick at Victorious81 on Twitter sent in a thing showing that in every Premier League season since 95-96, the winner, ultimate winner of the division has come from a side who is in the top two uh, at this point in the season. Now, I take the point, of course, that this season is particularly tumultuous. It does feel like anything could happen. But if Manchester City win their game in hand, they would jump above us into third. We'd be in fourth position. So really, we're looking at needing three teams Mm. to slip up. Uh, and us to be great and I just feel like uh, with the way things are that doesn't feel particularly likely Mm. Um, but I think to be honest we're not even at a point where we can really be thinking too much about that I think it's about just trying to put some form together and steady the ship and try and regather some momentum you know and if we if if within a few games we're back in the race or still in the race then so be it but I think really we just need to focus on on ourselves yeah yeah okay Grant all right we're going to take a short break Uh, that's the end of part one we'll be back with part two and your questions right after this hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. If you were in the UK and you heard the ad for our sponsors, Cornerstone, uh, please remember every bit goes to help this podcast. You go to cornerstone.co.uk forward slash arseblog and get razors and blades and they shave you closer than close as close can be. The closest shave you'll ever have, James. Really? Yeah. I've had a few close shaves over the years. So yes. <laughs> sounds, sounds exciting. But this is the good kind of close shave. Ah, uh, well, there you go. Yeah. I could do with one of those now, actually. I look a bit, a bit like I've been living, I don't know, in, in the woods for a few weeks. Right. Uh, well, I mean, I always look a little bit like that. This is true. This is true. Did you but take your so Did you take your good tracksuit pants to uh, to Aloha, or did you just I did, did you take some tracksuit pants. I, but listen, in fact, somebody told me this very morning that uh, tracksuits track suits are in this spring. Apparently, they've been appearing on catwalks in new lines of fashion. It's like it's become high fashion now to wear a tracksuit. That's the forthcoming new thing. Wow. Are, are we actually gone back to the 1980s? Is that what this is? It seems is? so. Finally, the DeLorean's kicked into gear and we're, and we're back there. Wow. Well, um, you were a man ahead of, ahead of your time. Very much so. Mm. Very much so. I'm, I'm probably, I'm so contrary. I probably change now. You, what, what, I wear what would you wear? Dungarees or, I don't know. Corduroys. Cool. Corduroy pants. Yeah. I think. Corduroy shorts only. <laughs> like um, Daisy Dukes or, you know, down to the knees? What are we talking here? Daisy Dukes. Oh, wow. Daisy Dukes. Good, good. You know, I was, yeah. didn't want to Something be disappointed. The boys. <laughs> <laughs> now, questions shall we have? Yeah, yes. We that shall was very have. Yoda of me. It was, it was. It was. Now I'm thinking of Yoda and Daisy Duke shorts. Not a good image. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a diverting image, definitely. Um, do you have a question? Do you want to go first? Because I'd say his little, his little like Yoda <laughs> balls that hang out of those. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, Sorry. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if my little Yoda balls would hang out. Who knows? Let's not find out. Let's not. Let's not. Okay. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a question. Mine are green, though. They are green. <laughs> your shorts green. or your balls? Both <laughs> leathery green. Um, All right. I have a question before okay, this goes. I'm ready for it? Completely wrong. Yeah. This one comes from David S at Fatboy Flex, and it sort of goes to some comments um, made by, by Arsene Wenger today. Mm. And he says, Do you reckon the Arsenal fans have provided the support needed to win the title? Wow. Interesting question. Um, what, 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 do you want to mention these comments that you alluded so mysteriously to? There, uh, have you not seen them? I, I have, but I just wondered if people. All right, yeah, we might get some, we might get some context. Yeah, Arsene Wenger saying, uh, "I must tell you that the the pressure from our supporters is relentless. We have to deal with that. We have to go on a run again. I prefer that the fans are happy, but I'm worried that it can get to the players' confidence level." 
and I guess this is, you know, the, the, the outpourings of frustration that we get when, you know, we let a one-goal lead slip to Swansea at home. That kind of thing I think he's talking about. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of glad for his sake that he didn't say it in the immediate aftermath of the Swansea game because I think that would have provoked a lot of anger. You know, it, it, would have, it could have been construed, certainly, as uh, blaming the fans for potentially their part in that night. One thing I will say is I, uh, my brother... Remember my brother, the Chelsea fan? I do, I remember him well, yes. Yeah, yeah. He was at Arsenal-Swansea, and he's not a regular at the Emirates, as you can imagine, Mm -hmm. Um, but he was attending in a working capacity, and he rang me afterwards and said he was really struck by how difficult an environment he felt it was to play in. He was really surprised by how quickly the fans became grew vocally frustrated with the players and how clear and how evident that was now uh, he you know he, he visits a lot of different grounds he'd actually been at Leicester the night before and said that the contrast in ambiance between the two could not have been clearer now okay, yeah look, of think, course context is a big thing here, yes right? yes because Leicester are having an extraordinary season and everything is going right for them and we're having groundhog season that I think is the big difference, you know. I don't exactly. think I think in the in the context of this particular season, even or uh, you know, even the last couple of weeks, if you were to look at the Swansea game in complete isolation, you might say, okay, well, that's a bit harsh. But we can't do that. We're looking at the, what's happened based on not just this season, but previous seasons and previous seasons where these kind of failings have been have been par for the course. What I, yeah, what I said to him, what I tried to get across was that I think the, the reactions that you saw, say, at the Swansea match are not just about those incidents, not even just about that game, not even just about this season, but there is a kind of well of frustration that has built up over a decade, really, mm. and whenever things go wrong, um, that that well kind of opens up, doesn't it? It only takes uh, a few bad results, and we've had more than a few in the last couple of months or so, mm. Um for a lot of that old anger to rise again. Now, I doubt that helps the players, if I'm honest. Um, I doubt that's a particularly motivating scenario to find yourself in. It will be for some, but for others, I'm sure encouragement would be more useful. But I, I I don't have any... I don't really necessarily feel that the fans ought to behave in a different way, do you? No, I mean, I don't think that... uh, The question was, do you you think Arsenal fans have provided the support needed to win the title? I don't think you need support to win the title, if that makes sense. That's not what you need to win the title. What you need, you know, are good players. What you need is good management, a bit of luck along the way. uh, And that's what you need. Now, ideally, you know, I think everybody would thrive in a supportive environment, Right. I think that's yeah. that's normal that you know if you're being encouraged and and what have you that it, it's got to feel better for you than than being criticised. Uh, but if the reason that you're being criticised is because of your collective failings as a team, I think you have to be able to to understand that and not think okay they they hate us, 
They don't hate you. They're just really fucking frustrated at what you're doing and how you're doing it and why you do it again and again and again and again. That's what it is, you know? Um, So, yeah, I mean, look, it would be perfect if everybody, all 60,000 Arsenal fans in the stadium were absolutely 100% behind the team throughout the game. But we know that's not the case. Like, you you know, when you go to a game, we could be winning 3-0 and somebody will, will misplace a pass and there's a, like, oh... Or, oh, for fuck's sake, or whatever. You know, somebody will... That's the way that certain people react to things. And you can't dismiss human nature. You can't expect 60,000 people to all behave the same way. They're robots then. Whoa. I, I agree Helicopter. with you. Helicopter. Oh, yeah. They found More me. Play. Shit. It's here. Oh, it's there. Yeah. Okay. But, I yeah, mean, I mean, just going... Yeah, I mean... But there are a lot of factors, aren't there? There's the frustration that's built up over time at the relative lack of silverware. I think, is it fair to say that the, the prices might be a factor in the way the crowd responds to Of things? course. I mean, do you think uh, since the... Was it... It was Jim from East Lower who sent me something, actually, and I'll, I'll see if I can read it here, if it's... Um if it's readable and not mm. uh, necessarily something that was sent in in, uh, in confidence. I don't I think mean, it if you, was. I mean, if you can't read it, everyone's now just going to be wondering what that is. We're going to have to take this bit out. Yeah. So it's going to be too... Mis- it's too exciting, too tantalising. Okay, this is a quote, and I hope he doesn't mind me reading it out, um, from, from one of his friends. He said, the way that they tried to screw us, uh, extra money out of us for Barcelona was unforgivable. The email saying we are too stupid to understand the rules, but they let us off this time was unforgivable. So do you think there's been a marked difference in the atmosphere or the, the willingness of fans to just suck up whatever's thrown at them since that particular incident. It feels to me that that's a really good point. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's certainly it's certainly acted as a, you know, it's certainly accelerated to some of the dispassionate reactions, dispassionate, impassioned reactions we've seen. Um, and I, there are, there are a lot of factors that go into it. I think one thing that I really noticed in the Swansea game was when Arsenal were trailing, you know, it used to ring around Highbury particularly, and certainly the Emirates at previous seasons, that chant, you know, come on Arsenal, that when Arsenal were trailing, when Arsenal were struggling, that thing of, mm. you know, trying to push people on and get behind them, force them into something. And there wasn't much of that in the ground. You know, there was a real despondence from everybody. everybody. Um, but I always think it's primarily the job of the players to lift to lift the fans, you know. I, I think ultimately they're the ones who are getting paid to be there while the others are being are paying to be there. Mm. Uh, and it's the responsibility lies chiefly with them, and they haven't been doing that. Yeah. Look, yeah, you would like to think it's a two-way street. that it the is, fans it is uh, to an extent. It is to an extent, and the fans can, at certain points, really get behind a team and rouse them, and maybe, to some extent, it, it gives them encouragement and, you know, they feel like they can go for, for things. Um but, you know, ultimately, it's what happens on the pitch that dictates the atmosphere. Because you could have a brilliant... You, we could be 4-0 down, and if everybody was singing a happy song, it's not going to make any fucking difference to what's happened on the pitch or what's going to happen on the pitch. But if the team is 4-0 up and everyone's singing a happy song, well, that's why they're singing a happy song. Yeah, completely. So, so in answer to the question, I think the fans have done enough, and I think given the loyalty so many fans have shown... And again, to mention it again, the prices that they paid, I think they deserve success. You know? mm. um, it's just a shame the team can't seem to give it to them right yeah. now. All right, uh, your turn. Okay, this one comes from at Johnny underscore page, Johnny Page. He's pulling no punches. He says, 
did Welbeck's lateral movement make you realise how limited Giroud and Walcott are up front? Well, I don't need anything to remind me how limited Theo Walcott is. No, you don't, do you? <laughs> <laughs> um, but what it doesn't, it, doesn't hurt to reiterate. No, no, of course. But what it did was it it showed me that Welbeck can give us something different. That's what that's what it showed me. I really liked it. I think he was a little bit wasteful on the ball. There were a couple of times where he could have. There was one where it was put onto his left foot, and you're going, "Just have a shot, have a shot, yeah, have a shot, was- have a shot." And he took another touch, and it, it didn't quite work out. Um, but yeah, I liked the way that he ran. He, he seems physically, and the way that he plays, does he seem a bit more like a a modern centre forward? I think so. I think he's got a very good all-round game, to be honest. Mm. Um, and I agree with you. He looks a little bit rusty at times. but And I think he knows that himself, listening to his comments after the Spurs game. But that's certainly understandable, isn't it, given the length of his layoff? Mm. Yeah, for sure. You know, and he's he's spoken um, after the Tottenham game to say that he's still not 100%. He's still getting his match sharpness back. But, you know, there's pace and there's power, there's movement, there's there's a bit of skill and trickery. You know, there's some nice turns to get away down the down the wings at times. Um, you know, I thought it was I thought it was a very encouraging performance. And I would like to see I'd like to see more of him up front, to be honest. I know yeah. that we, we know what Giroud can give us and we know that sometimes Walcott can do something. And that's that's as good <laughs> as I'm that's as good as we but that's the reality. It's not like we say, okay, if you play Walcott up front ten times, eight times you're getting a good performance and you know, two you know, it doesn't work like that. You just don't know what you're ever gonna get. I mean, we know to a certain extent what we get with Giroud, a much more traditional centre forward, somebody who who holds it up and brings people into play. Um but with Welbeck, I think that it just maybe makes us a little less predictable from an attacking point of view. I think so. And we talked about that lack of movement and that's what he provides, really. He runs the channels brilliantly. He offers you a threat in behind, which Giroud doesn't really do. Mm. Um, and and he's, he's happy to drop deep at times. And, you know, even when he shifted out to the right midfield, when we went down to 10 men, I thought I thought he did pretty well. Um, I, I've been impressed by him. I've always been a a really big fan and I think obviously that the flaws in his game are evident in his goal scoring record but in terms of what he provides in terms of bringing some fluidity to a forward line that had become somewhat predictable I, I think he looks like a really good option at the moment and I I'd like to see him starting more Premier League games yeah mm, yeah I, I'm I'm all I'm all for it you know let's give him a run we've We've given Giroud plenty of runs, and I, you know I still like Giroud as a player, uh, but he's a good option from the bench, and we know what he can do, and we know how he does it. What we don't know really is what Danny Welbeck can do with eight, nine, ten games in a row up front for Arsenal. And yeah. at this point of the season, given the way that we're not scoring goals or or the the lack of goals that we're 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 uh, we're, we're having to deal with. I don't see the harm in in at least trying something different. In the same way that when you know El Nani was selected, it was something different because we we were in a position where we had to do something different. Of course, yeah? of course. Well, well, listen. While we're while we're on the subject, I know it was my question last time, but I'm going to steal another one if you don't mind. All right. Um, at German Gunners says, has El Nani walked into the starting eleven for weeks to come, or was it just a one time thing to put him next to Cochrane? Well, I would like to see it. I would like to see it on a more uh, more regular basis, like with Welbeck up front. I think 
when your midfield struggles, when it's uh, as dysfunctional as it has been um, for a couple of months now, mm. since Cazorla and Coquelin uh, left, uh, and I'm not saying that that was the the magical midfield either. You know, they had their they had their issues too. Um, but you know, Flamini and Ramsey never quite clicked. Flamini and or Ramsey and Coquelin never quite clicked. And now we found something that looked a little more solid. Um, Ramsey on the right, he doesn't particularly like it, but tough shit. Uh, he, he can be quite effective from from that position. So I I would like to see it. I think um, I think we might see it again tomorrow night with with uh, with Hull in the FA Cup, maybe with Flamini. Just before we go on there, pick a team for tomorrow night's game against Hull. Okay, let's have a go. Well, yeah, because uh, somebody asked me another question. Who was it? Let's have a look. Um, Stephen Dowling was saying, for the FA Cup, do we go with our next in line as club, club tendency? Will Matt Macy play instead of David Ospina? I don't think he will. No. I think that would be a massive risk. So I think it will be Ospina in goal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think centre-backs will probably be uh, as they were on Saturday. So yeah. Mertesacker and Gabriel. Yeah. Um, now it becomes a bit trickier, doesn't it? I think it'll be El Nenny and Flamini in front of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, fullbacks, maybe Chambers at right back. Yeah. Maybe Chambers and Monreal, if Monreal's fit and fresh. Yeah. Uh, I think he might give Gibbs another game. Do you think? Yeah, yeah he could do. Yeah. He's played most of the cup games, hasn't he, thus yeah. far, I think. Um, El Nenny, Flamini. Uh, I think he'll play Campbell on the right. I think he'll play Cameron on the right. I think he'll play Giroud up front, probably. Yeah. And I think he should play Alexis. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. I think on he what, should. Just, just because to help him find some form? Or? Yes, I think so. Um, you know, he scored one. He's been desperate for a goal. He's got one against, uh, against Tottenham. I think we probably need to use this game as a way of building a little bit of momentum. You know, we don't have any... I don't think we can really risk... Um, I don't think we can really risk playing uh, a completely changed side, you know. So I think we have to look at trying to get a little bit of momentum going with this game and just to have that little bit of something extra in the team. Because I don't think he'll play Ozil. I don't think he'll play Ramsey. I think he'll. I think Alexis would be a good a good uh, pick for this game. So we didn't name Ozil's replacement. Do you expect that to be Alex Iwobi again? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, it's a. Uh... It's still a heavily rotated side, that, isn't it? It is, but, you know, it. I think it has to be to a certain extent. Um, you know, it was a big effort on, on Saturday, particularly with 10 men. So we'll have to see how, how everybody's, uh, everybody's feeling from, from that. But I think we have to, we have to you know, given what's, where we are in the league as well, there's a real need to win this game to keep uh, a chance of silver alive as yeah, well. Yeah, for sure. You for know? sure. So there are a number of reasons to play a relatively strong team. So, and um, a seven o'clock kickoff. Yeah, that's because it, it's uh, there's Champions League football Champions tomorrow League, night. Yeah. You know, so they had to get special dispensation from UEFA to play this game at all on the night of yeah. a Champions League game. Um, so yeah, seven o'clock kickoff. Bit weird, but hey, bit weird and a bit of a bizarre scenario. Obviously, we don't know who we're playing this weekend. But uh, yeah, that is weird, isn't it? It does feel strange. Well, I think... it's weird for um, for. Watford and West Brom fans as well. West Brom fans don't know if they've got a game coming up this weekend. 
And I think was one supposed to be on the Saturday, one on the Sunday, potentially. Yeah, yeah. I don't know which is... No, the the FA Cup game is on the Sunday, I think. If we get through, the FA Cup game is on Correct. Sunday. And if we don't, then we West play West Saturday Brom evening. Saturday evening at half five. Yeah. Yeah. Very Are you confident odd. for Hull? Yeah. Are you? Oh, okay. Well, that's good. I'm. I'm not. <laughs> well, I think Hull as well are involved in a big uh, yeah. promotion battle. So last time, it's not Steve a priority Bruce, for them. I would yeah, say. So Steve Bruce rotated the shite out of his side last time. I suspect he'll do. He'll do similar this time around. Um, so yeah. So I, I'm reasonably confident. After after seeing what we did in the final few minutes um, against Tottenham, then yeah, I am. Okay. Well, that'd be lovely. Yeah. So going back then to that, El Nenny to to keep his place. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And also, I think his freshness is a factor. You know, yeah. he's not played as much football as anybody else, and um, that that could be a big thing in terms of you know injecting some some energy into mm. the side at last. Mm. Okay, here's a question. This one comes from Neil Pierce, and it was also mentioned by Johnny Hawk, um, who wanted to know, is it a concern that Alexis stormed off the pitch at full time against Tottenham? And, and Neil Pierce says, what did you make of Alexis's body language at the end of the game? Well, I, I did not see it in, in classic Arsene fashion. I did not see the incident. I mean, was it, how bad was it? I didn't think it was that bad. Do you want me to do it now? I can, yeah, I can talk you through it. Hang on. Vocally, yeah. Yeah, okay, so I'm just getting towards the end of the game here. I think this could be it. This is Ospina. The end of the game will be when the referee blows the whistle and all the players start to leave. That's it. Um, it just takes a little bit when I... This could be the final goal kick here. Here it is. Oh, did I break it? I did, I broke it slightly. It's coming, <laughs> coming up now, coming up now, coming up now. Boom, 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 Okay. I've got it in Spanish, as always. Okay, so Ospina is putting the ball down. Here we are. We're into the the final minute. Okay, here it is. Yeah, ninety three minutes. Boom, 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 boom. And here he goes. He boots it, and the referee has blown the full time whistle. Tottenham player hits the ball. Alexis, the ball is bouncing in the center circle. He fucking boots it right down the far end of the pitch as far away as hard as he can and he walks off he's walking off the pitch doesn't shake hands with anyone he's walking off there's another Arsenal player going off the pitch on the far side I can't really see who it is and Alexis is walking off the tunnel walking straight to the tunnel and there he goes down the tunnel someone's put an arm around him giving him a bit of a cuddle from the bench but that's all it was. Just I mean, can frustration. You, can you blame a man for wanting to get out of White Hart Lane as quickly as possible? No, not at all. I, you know, I, I think it was just pure frustration that we didn't win the game, and the circumstances in which we didn't win the game, I think, w- would have been frustrating to to him and to some of the other players as well. I mean, in seriousness, I'd be more concerned about the the quotes he gave last week uh, mm. about Arsenal's. What, what did he say exactly? I forget now. About basically the lack of winning mentality, wasn't yeah, it? Or, yeah, we, we lacked the hunger to believe in ourselves. It was something like that. Um, yeah, which probably been through a translator, so you, it's difficult to you know be absolutely sure mm. what he meant to say. But I thought that was maybe more of a concern because he is someone who I don't think would, you could ever question his hunger, uh, the way he applies himself on the pitch. 
and obviously he'll want to see that reflected in his teammates. Mm. Um, I, I think what happened at full-time at Spurs is kind of a, a non-event, but he is definitely somebody who, if Arsenal continue to fail systematically, then that's going to be a problem for him because he, he's someone who you would describe really as a, a natural winner. Mm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then we go back to the question that we had last week. It's a, it's a balance, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you, has your contribution to helping the team win, you know, given you the right to, to make a decision about your future? At the same well, time, you know, that's very. I mean, this and this season, he hasn't been absolutely brilliant, has he? So, no. I, I think uh, I'm sure that much of his frustration is with himself. Uh, he seems like the kind of guy who could give himself quite a hard time when things aren't aren't happening for him. As we said earlier in the show, though, hopefully, he's at the start of one of those brilliant bursts of form that he can produce. Uh, yes, he's been in in the past, he's produced you know those runs of seven or eight games where he can be blisteringly mm. hot, um, and that would be pretty handy. Right that would be good, that. all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, another one? Yeah. Uh, Declan Riley. This is from at Declan Riley. He asks, who is accountable for all our silly red cards and rash decisions this year? Because we've had some big red cards in some big games. And uh, you think of Gabriel, you think of Coquelin. I suppose what he's implying is, is that the fault of the individual or is there a broader discipline issue that needs to be looked at? I think it's... Whenever a player gets red carded, it's on them, isn't it? Unless it's an absolute, so. unless it's an absolute travesty of justice. Uh, and the last one I can really think of was Van Persie against Barcelona, where it was like ridiculous for kicking for having a shot after the referee yeah. had blown his whistle, and that was the second yellow. You know, ultimately the players are the masters of their own behaviour. You know, we saw Arsene Wenger talk after the game. They, they didn't ignore the fact that Coquelin was on a yellow card at halftime. They spoke to him about it. They yes, very clearly course. told him, don't do anything silly. And he went out and did something silly. So if the manager had completely ignored that, then you might say, okay, you know, you're not doing your job well enough to, you know, to, to remind him of his responsibilities. But, you know, it's down to the players. Um, Gabriel's red card... Again, daft, but don't get involved. Mertesackers against Chelsea, individual mistake. Cazorla's against Chelsea, I thought a little bit harsh, but, you know, two yellow cards. So, for me, it's on the players. It's on the players. Yeah, I think it's a bit different if, say, you've got an inexperienced fullback out there, he's being booked, and he's he's clearly being given a torrid time by his winger. You know, he's being beaten multiple times, and it, it seems inevitable. But in the case of someone like Coquelin, you know, while he was on that booking and does play in a congested part of the field, it wasn't as if he was receiving multiple warnings or anything like that. Mm. And it was the responsibility of the manager to haul him off. I think a player in those circumstances has to take responsibility for themselves and, and be more disciplined. Yeah. Um, so as much as it's in vogue, I think, to, to blame the manager for certain results and certain incidents, and justifiably so, uh, I think in these particular instances, I think the players got to look at themselves. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, okay, what else? Do we need another question? I mean, we don't need one, but we could, we could have one. Yeah. Have you got one? Have I got one? Steve Sinyard, he wants to know, in your opinion, what's the best, the correct way, rather, to make tea? Tea bag out before the milk or tea bag in while adding the milk? Okay. 
Now, I, I know that there is like a supposed better way. I mean, if I'm honest, I think using a, a teapot is a great way. With, with tea bags or loose leaf tea? Tea bags, I'm afraid. I'm not that posh. Right. Um, but I just think, you know, the bags stay in the pot. The bag never enters the mug. It's never, or the cup. It's sort of, you know, it's all kept nice and clean and separate. What I do, if, I, if I'm frank, is I put the tea bag in the cup, add the water, then I add the milk, <gasps> and I can, yeah, and I can adjust. Now, the, th- the thought being that if I go too much milk by mistake, the tea bag's still in there, and I can squeeze the tea bag more and redress the balance. I can control it in either direction at that point. Tea bag comes out last for me. Now, but I know that that's, you know, I know that's not good form or whatever. Where, where do you sit on this? Tea bag in, water in, let it brew for a minute or two, give it a squeeze, take it out, then you add the milk in. What if you add too much milk? I don't. I know exactly how much milk to add. I've been making how? cups of tea for fucking 20 odd, 30 years. Who knows? I know See, exactly. I know exactly how much milk I like, which is literally a couple of drops. I'm not really, big, yeah, really, really don't like milky tea at all. What would the colour of your tea be akin to if you had to compare it to another object? Um, quite a difficult question, but you know, we've do you ever see it, those? Uh, do you ever see those uh, photos of uh, bodybuilders? Yeah, who've got oh, this, when they like, put all the tan on themselves. They've got all this super tan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's yeah, what yeah. that's what my cups of tea look like. Bit well, like that, that sounds color. delicious. Yeah, <laughs> um, how appetizing. Less oily. Right, right. Less oily. I see. I, I don't mind a milky tea. I mean, I say I like tea, but I suspect that deep down, what I really like is milk and sugar. Um, the tea is just kind of incidental. In how many? How many sugars? Oh, I've downgraded now. Now I often don't have sugar. Um, I used to know someone who had eight sugars in their tea. What? I know, they're dead now. But, uh, <laughs> no, they're all right. They're kicking around still, I think. Di- I diabetes, think got, Dave. Yeah, I don't think they've got any teeth, but um, <laughs> I, uh, I'll i have the odd sugar. It depends on my mood, if I'm honest with you. But yeah, the tea bag thing, I mean, I'm sure I'll take stick for it because I know it's it's not the done thing. But I like the flexibility of leaving it in. You know, I worry about myself with the milk. I worry I'll overdo it. Mm. I just don't like the idea of it as well. I don't like the idea of a tea bag and milk coming together. It just doesn't... Just doesn't oh, it's do just it for tea's me. not the drink for you then. Well, I quite like a cup of tea. I just had a cup of tea while we were recording the first half of this show. Did you? Yeah. I, I had a coffee. Horses for courses, I guess. I guess it is. You know, I'm much more a coffee man in general, but you know, a cup of tea after my lunch was all right. And it was, you know, it was nicely mahogany coloured tea. It was it was good. Good, good, good rich tea there. Yes. Um well look, I think we've I mean I like it when we disagree. It brings some variety to the show. Absolutely, and it's always over the most important matters. That's the exactly. thing. That's the thing. And now if I ever have to make a cup of tea, I'll know how to proceed. Yes, indeed. Um, right, well, look, will we leave it there then for this week? Let's leave it there. We've got, Let's look forward to Hull. And then, who knows? It's the great mystery of this week is that we don't know what's happening next weekend. Exactly. We're going to Hull and back and beyond that. To Hull and nobody back. Nobody knows. Yes, indeed. Um, all right then. Well, look, we'll uh, we'll catch you on next week's Arsecast Extra as we prepare for a game against Barcelona. Mm. Of course we do. Of course we know we, do. we know that's happening. Mm. Yeah, I'm going. Are you? Yeah. You're a brave man. A glutton for punishment, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> something to be said though for for beer and sandwiches. That's, oh, of course, that's good. I'm sure you'll have a lovely old time. I'm sure. Apart from ninety minutes. Yeah. 
Anyway, we'll <laughs> we'll prepare for that. And on the Arscast on Friday, we'll look ahead to whatever's going on at the weekend. We'll know by then what we're going to be doing at the weekend. So uh, as always, thank you indeed for listening and uh, catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.